Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 110. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It is your host, Eric Cacciatore, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry. I have such a great show for you today, but before I hit play, I just want to take a moment to thank all those folks out there who are shooting me emails, connecting me with awesome guest mentors to be here on the show, uh, sharing their stories giving us their advice, and uh, making all of us who have that passion, who have that burning desire to serve others and to dedicate our lives to service and making other people happy, uh, you are sharing your stories and advice and making it just a little bit more possible for us to become like you and be unstoppable. So uh, thank you so much for everyone helping out. And uh, with that said, enjoy today's show. So, All right. with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chris Himmel. Chris, how are you today? I am great. Thank you very much, Eric. It's great uh, to talk. Oh, man, I cannot wait for this interview. Are you ready to drop some restaurant bombs of knowledge on us that are going to be sure to make our restaurant dreams unstoppable? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Uh, so Chris got his start in the hospitality industry doing odd jobs for his family's restaurants. Uh, this early exposure ignited his passion for the restaurant industry, and that passion carried him to study at Cornell School of Hospitality Administration in uh, Ithaca, New York. Uh, after graduating, uh, he mastered his craft, working under the tutelage of two industry greats, first, Danny Meyer at Union Square Hospitality, and then Thomas Keller at the French Laundry. Today, he's applying what he's learned as the Executive Vice President for Himmel Hospitality Group, which consists of Grill 23 and Bar, Harvest, and Post 390. Uh, most recently, Himmel was included in the Boston Business Journal's 40 Under 40, and Boston Magazine's uh, recognized Grill 23 and Bar as being one of Boston's top 50 restaurants. Man, you have done so much. This is just an aerial view of who you are and what you have accomplished. Why don't you give us the full serving of what you're all about? Uh, well, I think uh, really, I think I'm at most of the team that I work with. So I think uh, I've been very, very fortunate through growing up. We actually have several people that uh, started working at Grill 23 when I did who were still at the restaurants. We have yeah. our vice president of operations who's been there for 25 years and, and so on and so on down the road. You grew up in this industry, though. I mean, like, what, what point did you know that this is something you wanted to make a career? Uh, I think right around the time when working in restaurants stopped being sort of a punishment, a chore, and started, <laughs> I started to realize that people actually love food, and it was kind of cool to work in a restaurant. I think at a young age, when it was mostly just hotel dining rooms and things like that when I was growing up, and um, I think that seeing certain restaurants like Jasper White's, uh, uh, Jasper's, which was open in the early 80s, and some of the more progressive chefs, I sort of saw that 
Um, it wasn't so much of sort of a uh, sort of generic job position. There was really a lot of creativity to it, mm-hmm. and um, I got really turned on by the fact that I got to never have a dull moment. You're always on the stage every night in the restaurant, so um, I'm not the type of person that can really get by sitting at a desk eight hours a day or ten hours a day. So, um, you know, when you put it all together, and I also saw that it was sort of in my blood. It was something that I was exposed to at a very, very young age. I think I was about uh, 10 or 11 years old the first time I really started working in restaurants mm-hmm. um, and ran really the whole gamut. And um, like many other people out there, sort of grew, uh, developed a passion for it and uh, became sort of addicted to it, if you will, and then yeah. uh, so on and so on and decided to go to school for it and um, then tried to go out and get the best possible experience that I could from working with some great people. Um, and <laughs> you, then once You did I a pretty good my, job at that. <laughs> Yeah, I think I um, I definitely mapped it out when I was younger, knowing, you know, when I was at Cornell, being able to see some of the uh, sort of those sort of up-and-comers at the time and people that were really making an imprint in the uh, in the industry. Um, so Danny was the first person that I identified that would be an incredible person to go work for. So mm-hmm. I was able to get into the management program with them and um, really learn sort of how to treat people and how to treat my employees and how to value um, the, the five uh, principles of uh, five tenets of enlightened hospitality, if you will, uh, that really prioritized uh, the values of your business, and yeah. uh, you know, sort of took that in my own. And over the last fifteen years or so, I've kind of been able to map my own path with it, which is uh, which has been great. I think we're 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 really happy with where we are. And again, it's um, really for me about trying to build great teams of people and yeah. um, try to let them speak and let them be the personalities um, and let me support them. And that's uh, that's been sort of what's worked for me. Yeah, man, I love, I just wrote this down, I underlined it a bunch of times, you said uh, you mapped it out, I mean, I don't think enough people do that in this industry, they don't have a plan at a young age uh, with goals to work for certain people, but you, you, from a very early age, you were living intentionally, man, and that's just so powerful, we can learn a lot from that, and then just to take all this, you know, all these lessons, and to be able to come back to your family business uh your your father your your i mean your your uh, father's predecessor is a predecessor or a superset what's how's that go <laughs> <laughs> well he was sort of at all he was my boss my father yeah uh sometimes my friend sometimes not my friend you know so depending on what was going on at the restaurants at any given time but yeah he uh he was very instrumental with that my dad is actually a developer he's one of the mm. uh CEOs at related companies in New York, which is a big developer of mixed use development. Um, so he's done Time Warner Center. And, um, he, we're, uh, I still am involved and, and help oversee some of the uh, operations in New York, with, yeah. from Per Se to Porterhouse and some of those. So um, he was a big factor in sort of pushing me to never sit back and mm. sort of just uh, rest on your laurels where you got to go out and pay your dues and you got to work for the right people. And that's always what he tried to tell me. So I didn't oh, want to. Uh, just stay at my family's restaurants for the entire time. I felt it was important to try to get a different perspective. It's so um, hard, yeah. Yeah, it was. So it definitely helped coming back, and um, I was certainly able to bring back a lot to our restaurants when I joined uh, helping take over the harvest in 2001 when I was uh, part of the management team. Uh, but it um, it sort of progressed from there. And, um, again, the best part of it is through hard work and commitment and building your own team, you sort of find your own path. So yeah. you find what works for you as opposed to what you learn from others. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, it's um, got it's, it's to be so rewarding, though, to, just, to be able to come back, to get this great experience and to come back to the family business and to be able to carry on that, that legacy, that family name. And, uh, I mean, not I mean, it's kind of the American dream. you got people who start a business. They want their kids to follow in their footsteps. And not always do you get the opportunity where you actually have children who want 
want to follow in your footsteps. So, I mean, it's just a great, inspiring, awesome story, and I cannot wait to dive into your head. And, I mean, we don't always get vice presidents on the show. We get lots of general managers and executive chefs, but I feel like you're going to bring a certain level of expertise to this interview. I cannot wait to get started. So, uh, I mean, before we start, I have to ask you, uh, what is one success quote or mantra that you kind of apply to your everyday life? Get us pumped up. I think uh, the one that I always use to my staff and I try to tell myself every day is you're only as good as your last meal. <laughs> so meaning you can certainly develop great reputations with your regulars and uh, we work incredibly hard with consistency, uh, but it's a battle every day. And when you go in, you're only going to remember their last experience. So if you drop the ball, um, you might have lost. You might have lost a regular guest, or worse, you're going to have somebody going out talking about a negative experience, which is that much harder to be able to correct. So it's something that I tell my staff, but it's also something that I was told since I was about ten or eleven years old. And the first time I went to go work in our restaurants was, um, you know, hearing that sort of quote time and time again to everyone, which sort of puts it in perspective to people that it's just time to focus on the here and now and not rest on what what's happened in the past. So no matter what we did yesterday, it's it's not going to have any bearing necessarily on our ability to execute today. Man, so. that is a heavy quote. Only as good as your last meal. It really makes you always push for, you know, perfection to do it a little bit better every time. And uh, I mean, just very powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that with us. So the first question, no, the first question I have for you uh, is what is your it factor, Chris? I mean, what I've, I've learned in these interviews that it's, there's no such thing as a great restaurant. There's only great people in restaurants. So what makes Chris Himmel great? Uh, I think if a couple of, of them would be certainly uh, work ethic. I think that's something that I've always certainly taken very seriously, actually coming from my family's restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, you always know that there's a little bit extra eye on you and people watching to see if um, are you working as hard as everyone else? Are you, you know, are you driven? Are you as hungry as everyone else? Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I've always taken to heart and tried to uh, to demonstrate through my actions as well as sort of things that go on behind the scene in terms of, uh, taking the initiative on my own to to travel and, and try to explore and, and bring back different cultures and different ideas and experiences back to the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another would be uh, team building. I think that's probably my greatest it factor, and that I think I'm a pretty good read on people. Um, I really try to hire uh, people who I think are going to fit as part of the team. It's sort of a puzzle instead of just trying to find someone if they came from sort of a four-star restaurant background. I might be willing to take a chance on someone else who didn't come from that background and try to work with them if I feel that they're going to be a better part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the last one is something that everyone has to have um, is a sense of humor. I think that it's something that you have to take to work every day. You can't always take yourself so seriously. Um, I think that most people who work with me will know that uh, when it's time to focus, I'm certainly right there. But uh, when it comes time to sort of have fun and certainly – um, you know, make light of things to try to lighten the air a little bit with everyone and realize that we're not, you know, this is a rocket science. We're not, you know, we're not saving lives. We're, we're making people happy. And mm-hmm. that's something that um, I always try to com- communicate to everyone because it's, a, you know, that coupled with the work ethic, it's just a long day and it's a lot of work and restaurants can be really difficult. So, it, you know, anything we can do to try to make the, uh, the environment a little more of a pleasant environment is something that I enjoy and 
sense of humor is something that I take with me uh, wherever I go. I try to. So, and that comes from both my sense of humor as well as knowing how to take a joke from people. Because, um, as, as I'm sure you, being exposed to restaurants and restaurateurs and people in the industry, we like to pick on each other a lot. So, mm. it's uh, it, both doing the front and the back of the house. But typically, be growing up around chefs, um, you got to have a sense of humor to uh, to make it through. So. Oh, man, I got work ethic, team building, and a strong sense of humor. And these are super powerful it factors, man. And, uh, I mean, I just want to point out, you talked a lot about surrounding yourself, that it factor, just seeing the potential and strengths in others. And we, as restaurant professionals, need to realize that we're only as good as our team. And we need to be able to recognize our weaknesses and compensate by surrounding ourselves with greater people. And if you can do that, and it sounds like that's what you're good at, and there's no secret. I mean, you're, you're obviously doing great things in your career. Uh, then, I mean, we can learn a lot from that just alone. And then just the whole sense of humor, man, like, so important. This is a socially intelligent uh, industry. Like, you have to be able to, to make people happy, even during, like, the, the crappiest times. You have to be able to laugh, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and, just, and remember that your job is to make people happy. So incredible yeah. factors. Um, so I need to have you share with us a specific story where maybe one of these if factors of working hard, having that the, the ability to build a team and your sense of humor, when did one of those if factors contribute to you know this journey of going up the ladder of success? Uh, I think uh, one that sort of, I don't know about the team building part of it in this story, but I think that both work ethic and sense of humor certainly uh, fall into it, uh, would be uh, my first day that I actually went to go work at the French Laundry, coming from uh, relatively green background. Um, I grew oh, up working in kitchens at our restaurants, <laughs> but I never had really uh, been in a kitchen of that caliber before. This is going to um, be a good one. Take us to the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I got there, I think that nobody would have doubted uh, the fact that I was enthusiastic and that I was going to put like everything I try to do, put my best foot forward and work as hard as I can. Um, and I think they appreciated that, and that's what kind of got me through. Uh, the first, you know, couple of days there where I was sort of a fish out of water. Uh, but there was a one point in the, uh, in the night where, uh, I got a little bit cocky and thought, you know, hey, I know, I know what I'm doing around here. And, um, you know, I basically was put in charge of sort of my first responsibility. Everything we, at the time, I'm not sure if it's still that way, but when I was there, it was most of the, uh, dishes that incorporated vegetables or things that would, uh, involve starches or pulps. We would juice everything. So we would mm-hmm. juice carrots and beets and, you know, you name it. Basically, we had, uh, walk-in coolers underneath the countertops that were filled with, uh, little, uh, Tupperware containers just filled with, uh, freshly juiced, um, everything. And mm-hmm. that was my job. Um, so I had the juicer and, you know, was going away and just wasn't not, not paying attention to where I plugged it into. And uh, one thing about the French Laundry that I think anybody who's either worked there or gone there to dinner knows is um, Chef Keller's about as strict <laughs> about his appearance of his staff as anything. So everyone has every day their crisp white, you know, chef coats, and um, everyone's meticulous about their appearance. And, um, you know, when we opened up, per se, with Thomas, he actually had his staff take ballet lessons and things like that to teach them more gracefulness and things that were just, you know, sort of out of the box thinking that um, all goes into everyday experiences. And um, I made the mistake of, you know, while I was juicing beets, turning around and running into the court and knocking the juicer over and it exploded like a fire hydrant and just sprayed beet juice over the entire kitchen of the restaurant. Again, my, I think it was my second day. um, And I just stood there, uh, you know, 
completely dumbfounded at what I'd done, and um, I think everybody was shocked. It looked like a, almost a bloodbath in the kitchen. <laughs> so, um, and every, everyone just stopped. I think there was oh probably four or five seconds. No one moved, and um, you know, at that moment in time, my first instinct was to go run into a hole and hide. You know, and <laughs> say sort of. You know, what did I do? I mean, I actually don't think that Chef Keller was there that night. I think he was traveling, so thank God, or I probably wouldn't have been back the next day. (laughs) Um, But they were all nice enough to me. And, again, that's where sort of not just my sense of humor, but the sense of humor of of the people in our industry uh, come into play. Uh, Some of the people certainly gave me a ribbing about it, but they also were incredibly, you know, gracious about it and understanding. And, you know, later on in the night as I sort of finished my evening with my head buried in my hands, um, came over and gave me a pat on the back and told me some of the stories of things that had happened to them either at that restaurant or somewhere else that people make mistakes. So, um, and I did, you know, I certainly wasn't disastrous. We got, you know, I had to go back and get everyone their clean chef wipes. And then the punishment I received the next day from Chef Keller was that I had to, uh, see, I couldn't come back into the kitchen until I fixed the juicer. So I had to go out and find the, uh, the gentleman. I, I think his name was Jose, who was a, a maintenance supervisor at the French Laundry, and, and he turned out to be one of my really good friends and that he helped me that day, and I had to take a wrench and bend back the fan prop and get it going so it didn't grind down on top of the metal. And finally, after about four or five hours, um, I was able to bring the juicer back in, and I got back into the kitchen, and um, sort of the rest of my experience was not quite as crazy, but it was certainly uh, as valuable in terms of the things that I learned. But that was certainly a, a, a tough way to start out your first oh, day. But um, <laughs> I, I think my sense of humor kind of managed to get me back into the kitchen and have the guts to show up back the next day. Oh, so. man, that's awesome. And there's so much important stuff to be pulled from that story. And, I mean, definitely being able – I mean, I would say just your, your – on top of having that sense of humor, you're, you sound extremely buoyant, and that's so important to just, you know, whoops, it happened, you know, but you can't get caught up in the past. You've got to, you know, bounce back and just keep on moving, and uh, it sounds like you learned a lot from the lesson. I mean, just the, the, the camaraderie that was there was awesome, too, people just kind of, you know, getting behind you. Awesome stuff, man. I felt like I was right there with you, and uh, you couldn't have told the story at a better time because I just finished reading The Soul of a Chef, like, yesterday, and, like, I, oh, man, I... I can only imagine what you're going through in that moment. Yeah, but, it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an incredible story. I need to have you do it again, man. Tell us a story of a time where, I mean, this kind of seemed like a failure, but it really wasn't. Um, I want you to, like, bring us to, like, a failure where you made, a, like, a serious mistake, where maybe uh, it was a decision you made that wasn't right and what you learned from that decision and how you bounced back. Mm-hmm. Um... I think the most uh, evident one to me is, is uh, the opening of Post 390, our latest restaurant. Okay. Um, I think that we, we opened during a time that the economy, this is in 2009, 2010, um, the economy was probably at, if not its weakest point, certainly you know not necessarily where it is today. Uh, our, our anticipation of the concept that we came up with for Post 390 was uh, more about uh, comfort for foods and approachable food and and in our mindset at the time was, you know, people don't want to be overly challenged and um, they want to basically have, you know, cheeseburgers and chicken pot pie and mm-hmm. things like that done to a certain level. And I think that given my background as well as the background of many of the people that work with me and the expectations that people had for our restaurants, Grill 23 and Bar and The Harvest, um, I think that people were expecting more from us. So 
Um, when we opened, we uh, were probably the first restaurant in about two years of significance to really open in the city of Boston. Yeah. Um, people were just dying to have a place to come that was new. Um, and frankly, given the economy, I think that they really wanted something to look forward to. They wanted something to get excited about. Yeah. Um, and we were fortunate to have Post 390 be that for people. The challenge with that is that instead of analyzing the business properly and saying, you know, let's just control this. We love, you know, the fact that people are coming through the door in, in droves, but uh, we need to control that. We need to control the opening of this restaurant, do it the right way, uh, analyze what our guests want. And I have uh, still to this day, he's with me there, but um, my chef, Eric Brennan, um, who I think is one of the better chefs in the city, if not the country, especially in terms of the way that he runs the business, um, you know, I, I didn't put him in a position to let him be who he is and to let him do what he does best. I sort of stifled, given my analysis of where the economy was at, um, sort of stifled his creativity, stifled and sort of, you know, covered up his talent more than I should have. Um, when we first opened, the, the droves came through, and to be honest, things weren't as consistent as they should have been. Um, we really had uh, a lot of challenges from opening in terms of controlling the number of the people that were coming through the door. It became uh, downstairs at the restaurant, but now what is our tavern? Um, it became more of a of a bar scene, and you know, five six people deep. And the design of the restaurant and the attention was a restaurant that people would want to eat at. That mm -hmm. became more of a drinking establishment. Um, and once you got branded with that, it became really challenging to to really convince people that the food should be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And we weren't helping ourselves with the type of cuisine that we were doing at the time. So um, about a year and a half into the restaurant, um, you know, the numbers certainly weren't, you know, abhorrent, but they, they weren't where they should have been. Um, you know, after the first, you know, sort of honeymoon period of any new restaurant in the first six months uh, where we, we really killed it, you all of a sudden saw a precipitous drop off the map. Um, which is a, a telltale sign of the fact that people aren't responding to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of sort of saying, okay, I'm either going to, you know, say screw the, screw the consumers and screw what they're looking for and not listen and, you know, be open-minded and have a thick skin yeah. when it came to some of the reviews and the feedback we were getting, um, and, or instead of saying, okay, I'm just going to close up shop here, uh, which certainly wasn't an option after, you know, only about a year and a half, um, I took the real risk to say, to really analyze the, the, the business and, and really come to grips and be honest with myself and my team um, on some of the things that I just talked to you about, about lack of consistency, about myself making the mistake of not allowing Eric to be who he is as a chef and let his talents come through, of the overall concept itself. Um, it's a large restaurant. It's 375 seats. Um, it's on two floors. Uh, you know, we felt like we wanted to have one menu that went all day. Um, you know, and again, it wasn't, it, given where the, the market was right after we opened, there were, I think, 5,000 restaurant seats added to the market within, not within about, you know, 12 or 14 months after we opened. Yeah. So on top of, you know, the economy, now you have an incredible amount of competition. Yeah. Wow, and people man. are saying, what's, what's making <laughs> you different than everybody else? So asking those questions, I went to, spent a lot of time in New York, uh, traveling to Chicago, to San Francisco, to some of the better cities. Um, with some of the uh, resources we have, speaking to a lot of the chefs and speaking to some of the people that I've worked for in the past. And, um, what it really came down to for me was sort of saying, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go through this anymore just saying what I think people want or trying to anticipate that. I need to be honest with myself first and foremost, and I need to come up with a concept that that is a restaurant that I believe in, that I would want to eat at, that mm, I'm proud to be a awesome. part of, um, and that really just sort of, 
encompasses the essence of who I am, as well as who my chef, Eric Brennan, who I've worked with since 2001, when I first came back to Boston. Eric was the first chef I worked with. And so we have a real strong understanding for each other. Um, and we basically said, let's just go for it. Instead of doing one menu all day, let's, let's separate the, the first and the second floor. Let's offer more of a tavern, shareable plates concept downstairs. Let's do a more formal dining room that really becomes who Eric is and let, let him be who he is. And the concept really had to evolve around making the commitment. Um, again, there's a lot of people doing farm to table, uh, but at the time we always ask ourselves, what is it that we can do to take that next thing to that next yeah. level? For me, it was, it was to almost hyper, hyper sourcing, like going out and not just going to my distributors and saying, who's got the best tomatoes to actually going and finding who has the best tomatoes yeah. and then going out and spending time directly with them and taking the time with my chef to travel and support wow. them. I've had, you know, certain people that we've done things like, if, you know, we had a, um, a quail farm in Vermont that we worked with that actually burned down two weeks after we went to go visit it. And we actually did a dinner to help support them to build back their farm and to help them out through what they needed. And um, all those things and all the sort of, like I said to my staff, and what we be, what became the essence of what Post and ID is today is it's about stories. It's about mm. kind of stole a little bit of the page from when I worked and being around uh, Chef Keller and, and restaurants like the French Laundry and Per Se that, um, you know, saying, you know, there's stories behind the dishes. I mean, mm-hmm. I was always really, I was really moved by the fact of some of the things that Chef Keller did uh, with, you know, having a, uh, you know, farmer in Vermont that only one person that made, made all the, the milk for him to do his butter, or yeah. having, you know, lobstermen in Portland, Maine, and having him go out there and help pay their rent because they had a hard season that, that year. Things like that that you can do to make that extra effort. Um, we try to do that in, in a little bit more of an approachable environment so that I think that, People go to some of these restaurants and they feel intimidated, whereas I think that what we try to do at Post is we, it's a very lively, energetic environment. It's, it's a big restaurant, but you know you can have fun there. But at the end of the day, you always know that what it comes down to is the sourcing of the product and the fact that um, everyone knows that my chef and I are working as hard as we can to not only go out and source the best product, but to also come back with the best stories and things to share with people. We've started a, a program, Farm to Post, which is a monthly series where we highlight one local farm every month. Um, and once a year, we actually, because this time of year, it's so hard to utilize local farms. So we, once a year, we'll go out and take a trip uh, somewhere around the country. Two years ago, I went to Brant Beef in Browley, California. Last year, I went to Laquertia uh, Handcrafted Cured Meats out in Iowa, and I learned how to do these things from these people. And I also get incredible relationships. And selfishly, Man, Chris, your, your you know, passion is just exploding people. right now, Chris. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> well, this, this story alone, man, like there's so much. You should see the page I have in front of me. I have an entire infographic trying to keep like the right out though like what you learn in this experience but i've got to try to uh, summarize it real quick because i mean we got a lot sure. of interview left and what i took away from this was you know you you started that concept uh it, it didn't match with you know the the expectations of your brand and people weren't really catching on right away and uh you, you kind of limited your chef to not do what he wanted to do and but, but you you were oh man you were spot on with trying to go out and to do the research to go to New York to find that unique selling proposition what makes us different I mean that's so important and I mean the the one thing one of the biggest things I've learned through these interviews is you have to be yourself and that's what I heard from you man like you there's only the one thing that will make you unique is yourself and you started doing what you want to do and what your chef want to do and you just focus on what made you happy and passionate and if you can capitalize on what makes you you know unique 
being yourself and just bringing the best of yourself out uh, and just focus on that. I mean, so time and time again, all yeah. my guests, I mean, that's just so awesome. Thank you for sharing that incredible story. And I mean, sure, absolutely. I mean, there was so much there I could talk about, but uh, we got to move on and <laughs> we got to go to the absolutely. Next I hear, I hear you. So the next part of this interview I've called Knowledge Bombs, and this is going to be a little bit faster paced. You're just going to drop some big old bombs of knowledge. Are you ready to rock and roll? I am. All right, man. Let's do it. Uh, (laughs) The first question I have for you, what advice do you have for funding a restaurant? For funding a restaurant, I think I would say to find uh, very patient investors and find someone who to partner with who actually has a much more of a long-term view of things. Um, if you have a short-term goals in this business, then you're in the wrong business. Uh, usually restaurants, uh, in my mind, it's you know very front-loaded with a lot of money up front, but then it takes even more money to fund it through the, the, the first year to two years of operation, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be keeping people on payroll that – um, you know, bringing new people in, being in marketing and public relations is a huge part of it. I think it's a huge mistake that people make out of the mm-hmm. get-go is not to not to allocate enough money into the marketing and PR side of it. Uh, but I think that when you're funding a restaurant, I think that you know it's about the people that you're going to be partnering with on it. Um, and again, if they have the right, if everyone's sort of goals line up in the long term, then I think you're in the right place. Uh, if so again, somebody's looking for sort of a short-term solution to something, then that's just not, it's not somebody that I would recommend to somebody to go into business with. It's just mm-hmm. a, uh, it, it's a, it's definitely not a, uh, not, not, not a recipe for success. And yeah. I can know that from experience over the years. So. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, this is a long-term investment and you're going to be in bed with these people for a long time. You have to make sure mm-hmm. those visions and those cultures <laughs> and those, just the, the, the missions all align and uh, such great advice. So um, once you have the money and it's time to hire some people, what do you look for in good people to, to work for you in your restaurant? Uh, I think it's a sort of got to pull another quote. This one actually is from from uh, uh, Danny Meyer when I worked with him. But mm-hmm. something that he told us time and time again is hiring the individual over the professional. Mm. Uh, that's something that we really take seriously at our restaurants. Meaning uh, we really try to delve deeper than just where somebody's worked. Um, if someone can pour a glass of wine uh, or knows you know all the uh, the varieties of caviar and things like that, those are great assets to have. But uh, this is a hospitality industry, so the definition of hospitality is caring how one's actions affect other people, uh, mm-hmm. and that is not something that you can teach people. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they either have it or they don't have it. Yeah. Our job as uh, the directors of the, of the operation are to find those people mm-hmm. um, and not be fooled by people that sort of can be the sort of, uh, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing sort of to come in where they want to get a job, but... Um, they'll use their background and they'll try to go work at the best places, but they, they're really only concerned about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not, this is a theme environment. So we really awesome. look very closely at that. That's, uh, it's really serious to us. So you say you have to go out and find these people. Where do you look to find them? Um, you know, again, we, it's from being in the community, um, mm-hmm. as well as traveling. I think that, um, in my position, as well as my general manager's position in each of the restaurants, uh, we have, we really, push ourselves. I mean, it's very hard just to be able to do the day-to-day in your own restaurant, but we, mm-hmm. we really encourage people and try to get out there around uh, the other restaurants and mm-hmm. get to know people in the restaurant community. Um, this is a industry that people are always on the move, so mm-hmm. um, you need to keep your pulse on where the talent is, not just in the city, but also you know throughout the country. I mean, again, I'm very fortunate to spend a lot of time in New York, to spend a lot of time 
in the South Florida market to really get out there. And, you know, you never know where people are coming from. My general manager at Post 390 uh, work is actually from Seattle. Uh, and Devin actually worked for my best friend from college, who's a partner at Le Pigeon out in um, Portland, Oregon, which is an incredible restaurant with gave Chef Gabriel Rucker. They just mm-hmm. won the Beard Award last year. And um, he happened to be have his wife uh, graduated medical school and is doing her residency in, Ma- in uh, Boston. So oh, wow. uh, he actually, Andy called me practically in tears saying, this kid is one of the best managers I've ever had, but he's leaving. Do you think you can give him some career advice? I said, my advice to you is come work for me. <laughs> That's what I told him, and he did, and he does an absolutely fantastic awesome. job. He's, the restaurants couldn't be in a better place with the right person, and you know that's just a result of um, keeping relationships and trying to uh, make sure that you you get out there. You can't mm. just be isolated in your own world. You have to make an effort to be out there. I that's, love it, uh, man. That's a huge part of it. I love so. it, man. Awesome stuff. Uh, so once you find these incredible people, once you get out there and develop those relationships, how do you keep them on your team? Uh, you have to obviously first the most obvious, making them feel valued. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing that's more difficult is having to, is helping them grow as mm-hmm. managers and as people. Uh, being a incredible, being a big resource for them, being uh, their biggest cheerleader at times, but also having to be sort of a, uh, a father figure in a sense that you have to be the one to come down on them sometimes. But um, always letting them know that it's in their best interest. That uh, one of the biggest prides that we take in our restaurants is the number of people that have come from our restaurants and gone on to either own their own restaurants. Um, or to be a part of a really something special at another restaurant group. Um, and that, you know, some people may look at that as, oh, well, that means they're not working for you. So, you know, then what, what are they going to do to you? Well, you know, aside from the fact of feeling the value of, of knowing that you were able to make a difference and help someone, you always know that they're going to be on your side. So, mm-hmm. again, that goes back to hiring people. The number of people that I have that I can tap on the shoulder uh, because they appreciate the respect that we show them when they work for us and that they recognize that we help them get to where they want to go, um, you know, it comes back to you. So, um, oh, you can, you know, never, never burning bridges, you know, it's yeah. a big thing sometimes too. So, and, uh, um, and that's something that we, we really support people on, whether it be with us or whether they go elsewhere, that's, um, giving them the ability to grow as people and as certainly as so powerful, man. And your words remind me so much of, uh, of Chip Connolly's book peak, where he just talks about tapping into those higher needs of being. And I mean, this, uh, the saying kind of just manifested out of thin air. I just started saying it, but you have to be the means to their dreams. And if you can help people mm-hmm. get to where they want to go and, uh, you aren't concerned about your best interests, but other people's best interests, Man, that positive energy, helping people just get to where they need to be, will will come back around to serve you. And I mean, you're such, you're leaving such incredible advice. Thank you, for great answer. Thank so, you, yeah. Uh, the next Absolutely. question, yeah, the next question I have for you is, uh, what advice do you have on leadership, man? There, there's no secret that you need to be an incredible leader to be able to make it in this industry. So, what do you have for us? Uh, in terms of leadership, yeah. Um, I mean, it's certainly to to set a tone for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you always have to know that the eyes are on you, that people feed off your own emotions. Um, there's times when, you know, I have three different restaurants and I, I help in other areas of my family's business through New York and other parts of the country. And um, there could be any one of a hundred different things going on in my head um, that, you know, it's easy for me to come in and let that get the best of me and let people sort of feed off my negative emotions mm-hmm. where um, it's something that I don't just try to do to myself, but I try to tell everyone that works for me, you know, it's, we all have things going on outside of work, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, check it at the door. So, you know, mm-hmm. when you walk into the door of this restaurant, you're, you're focused, you're 
you know, part of the team, you're, you know, going to have an attitude that's conducive to, to everyone uh, feeding off of and setting a good example. Because as managers, yeah. we're, uh, we, we set the tone for how our staff, which can ultimately affect the way that our staff interacts with our guests totally. or how efficiently somebody in the kitchen works to do, uh, to accommodate a special request or something. And they'll turn around and tell somebody to go, you know, go, mm-hmm. you know, pound sand rather than have something that they can take, they can take that initiative to really, um, to really make somebody's day and make some, uh, create a special experience, you know, some, awesome. some sort of, uh, and it's, you know, it's important. I mean, for me, it's, you know, and I sometimes better than others. I'm certainly not perfect with it. There's days that, um, I come in that, you know, people want to make a, take a wide berth from being, being close to me. But, uh, most of the time I think that I do, I, I try my best to, to have sort of an attitude that can be upbeat and inspiring to people, um, and let everybody see that, you know, we're, you know, and when we when we succeed, to letting people know it. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing. A lot of times, uh, leaders will only talk about the negatives to people and um, sort of dwell on that. Whereas, you know, every week when we have our weekly management meetings at other uh, restaurants, I make it a point to find a handful of things on a positive note that I can share with my yep. with my teams that awesome. um, get them to to sort of pick their spirits up. So. Awesome, man! I love it. I mean, just the one thing, just to sum this all up, is energy is transferable. All t- types of energy can be transferred. So if you come in with that positive attitude, that positive energy, it's it's natural. It's the laws of physics. You will affect the people around you and everyone else will be more positive because of it. It's just it's the laws of physics that energy, man. It's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh Sure. The next question yep. I have for you is what is your uh best resource whether a book or a magazine uh that you love to learn from? Um, I mean, I, I read everything, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's certainly a book that had the biggest impact on me that I even, believe it or not, I have it highlighted and put back in uh, my office, and I refer to it time and time again as, as Danny setting the table, mm. uh, which is very in- impactful for me. Um, also, because I haven't gone through the management training program there, um, you know, I walked away with so many great ideas, and I used to kick myself for not saving the employee manuals and all those things to be able to refer to. So when it came out, it almost became like my new my sort of de facto, you know, guide of to refer back to not only to, to brush up on the things that I learned back when I was there, but also to refer to time and time again. And I, I actually have been lucky enough to see Danny quite a, uh, not frequently, but not, especially not recently with what he's been doing with Shake Shack. But when I do run into him, um, I think one of the things that he gets uh, he's the most proud of is that people like myself and other people that have come out of his organization and done their own things, um, that he and what he's built at his company have really become a blueprint for all of us um, in, in terms of how we run our restaurants, which is to value your employees over everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do that and you, you know, his five tenants of enlightened hospitality start with valuing your employees before anything. And if you do that, everything else takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is something that was very impactful. It was great to be reassured by reading it. And it's probably the only book I can safely say that um, most of them I'll go through when I put back in the bookshelf. This one I literally keep on my desk because I refer to it, you know, on a weekly basis just awesome. to reaffirm the things that I'm working on. Yeah. So. If you guys haven't read this book yet, I'll have the links in the show notes. It is a must read. And uh, if you don't, if you're one of those people that says they don't have time to read, uh, well, at least try to listen to it on audio because <laughs> it's totally Absolutely. worth it. And it is on audio Absolutely. as well. So awesome stuff. Uh, all right. The next question, what advice do you have for marketing, Chris? I mean, this is – I'm really excited for this because this is kind of where people 
in your position need to focus on, uh, like, and you said that PR and that marketing, people don't invest enough money into it. So, I mean, what advice can you give us, uh, something that we can all do to, you know, better improve our marketing efforts? Um, I think it's kind of what I said um, earlier, even, and that, and that sort of was the success in post three ninety for us mm-hmm. is to believe in what and believe in what you're selling. You know, mm-hmm. that's marketing is essentially selling yourself to the mm-hmm. public. Um, so, you know, if you're driven by what you think that the public wants to hear or what you think that the public wants, um, you know, it's like a dartboard. You may hit it some of the time, uh, but you know, if you believe in what you're selling and you believe in what you're saying and you believe in the people that are working with you. Um, you know, that, that's infectious. It's something that people see. I, I sort of tell people, people like, people can see, the public can see through the BS. You know, they can see mm, when you're trying to force something and when you're genuinely enthusiastic about it. Um, and if you really love what you're doing, I mean, for me, you know, would, would everyone's idea of a great day time to spend in, in the month of February be to get on a plane and go to Iowa in the freezing cold and spend a week with somebody learning how to cure prosciutto and things like that? I mean, maybe not, but for me, that's uh, that's something that I absolutely love to do. I love to learn, and in the case of that trip, you know, meeting Herb and Kathy Eckhouse, who are at the forefront of you know the sort of charcuterie movement around the United States, and are happen to also be just incredible people. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to spend time around them, to um, develop a relationship with them, and then really to what to share that with people. Um, that and when you share that with the public, again, that's not only. Um, exciting for people, I think, to see. But when they see that it's genuine and that we really believe in what we're doing, um, I think that that's really what makes the difference between what people respond to. Um, and, you know, if you're not like that, a lot of times you're just sort of following trends and you're trying to fit in with where uh, people are at that given moment. Um, and you become part of the pack. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you sort of have to lead uh, rather than follow. And that's a big thing I'm in marketing. <laughs> I love it, too. I mean, and like, I mean, the biggest thing I'm taking away from what you're saying is, you know, that BS and authenticity factor. People can tell the difference. And no matter what you want to be, as long as you're being what's your, you know, whatever your authentic, true self is, uh, you're going to find that tribe. You're going to find that group of people that resonate with what you're trying to do, and they're going to see that it's authentic. And that's what, Mm -hmm. if you can do it. And make those connections and those relationships authentic. That's what will help you. And it's just when you start trying to create concepts that are just a concept and not true to any type of uh, human connectivity, like that's, yeah, I mean, this is what I heard from you and it's awesome, incredible advice. So the next question I have for you uh, is on the topic of technologies. And uh, I mean, there's so many things coming out every day and as the indie restaurant owner um somebody who doesn't necessarily always have the time to be researching all these new technologies and these services that exist that can make us more productive and efficient um this question is meant to kind of spread the word about what's out there what are you using what has your attention uh that can help a restaurant be more effective more productive and profitable absolutely i think it, it can be overwhelming frankly with with the number of things that come at us yeah um, sure. you know i just was uh i just sat on a plane uh the other week with the gentlemen who were the founders of resi uh out of new york which is sort of the reservation system that's sort of like an uber system that's uh, geared around reservations in new york um you know it, it looks like a very interesting concept to me it's not something that i've spent a ton of time around uh, but it just gives you some insight. With that one resi, there's also four or five other companies coming out of the works that yeah. um, all want to try to talk to you about utilizing them. Um, 
you know, for me, I, I, you know, my technology skills and knowledge are probably one of the more limited parts of what I do, but um, I do understand it and appreciate it. Uh, one uh, service that I actually use quite frequently in all, the, all of our managers in our restaurants is Avero, uh, which is a restaurant reservation uh, revenue tracking system. Uh, every night at 2 in the morning, it sort of downloads all of our numbers straight from Micros. And so when I get up every morning um, and I go on my computer, I can get a, a snapshot of, uh, not only how the restaurants perform that night, I can break it down into uh, incredible detail. From I could, if I wanted to find uh, one of the servers and how one of the servers did that particular night, and, turn, and compare how much revenue they generated versus the other servers on the floor that given night. Um, if I wanted to be able to track, um, I do quite frequently work with our beverage directors to generate cocktails and things like that. So if I want to see how my cocktails are tracking. I can get up and not only check for that given night, but I can run reports that'll give me information, um, sort of they call them snapshots that I can get instantly uh, that can give me real-time information that I can be able to use to get out there and, um, and make an impact on what we're doing as a business. So mm, I think yeah. it's something that we've used, we've used for a long time um, and that I, I rely on also because of the amount of traveling and time that I have to spend away from our restaurants. Um, it gives me the ability to stay really in tune with our restaurants without having to uh, wait, you know, multiple days for somebody to generate a statement for me to take a look at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can get a, I can get an accurate snapshot at any given moment of how our businesses are performing, and that to me is, uh, you know, the biggest difference for me of being able to do my job. So, awesome. um, so I think that's a, it's a great program. Yeah, so, I mean, time and time uh, again, people they say how important the numbers are, and I haven't. I mean, with with technology today, it's so easy to look at these numbers and to pay attention to them and to quantify your efforts. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no, not at all. No, no, that's. Uh, I think that would be. Uh, biggest service i think that sort of in terms of uh other things that i've used quite frequently recently um again from all the trips and all the farms and everywhere that i that i spend time with i actually uh have developed uh, a real passion for photography and things like that to be able to take photos and not only share them uh with our staff and people like that in training but also um to share them through social media and to be able to give them through marketing and you know some of the advertisements that we've run Proposed 390 in our farm proposed program over the years have utilized photos that I've taken and things. And, um, you know, from years past, it was such a labor intensive process mm-hmm. of having to sort of download everything straight down to my computer and then send it over and yeah. email them one at a time to somebody. So I think that the use of Dropbox and things oh, like yeah. that today awesome. has become an incredible resource. Um, I think it's something that, again, if I'm using it and if and if I'm noticing it and getting really excited about it, then I can only imagine that people who are really that technology-savvy yeah. feel about it. Um, so I think that it's really had a big impact for, uh, certainly for marketing and PR. I mean, it's, um, you know, I used to spend like 10 or 15% of my time just trying to manage through that whole process. Now I can just drop it right on that box and have every drop box and have everybody um, have instant access to it. And they can, you know, it saves me a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And it also gives all the people I work with the ability to, to help have, take part in that process to decide what we all like instead of just what I like. Mm-hmm. It takes so long for me to download things awesome. or send them to people. Absolutely. So. I love the emphasis you're putting on time. And I think that's one of the biggest things we can take away from technology is the one thing that's a constant, no matter who you are is time. So if you can leverage these technologies to get that time back in your life where you can focus on the things like taking care of your employees and your guests, it's invaluable. Uh, and it, I mean, all that stuff is just so, so great. And if you could go back in time, Chris, to when you were maybe coming out of college and you could give yourself one piece of advice to the old past Chris, one piece of business <laughs> advice, what would it be? 
I would say talk less and listen more. Mm. I, would say, <laughs> I think that that's something that when I was younger, um, especially coming from the background that I did, whether I was in school or whether I first started in New York, to everywhere that I went, I think when my first my first instinct as somebody young was to, I had to make my mark. So that meant you know jumping into things that I may not have completely been you know experienced on or uh, be able to add that much to. Um, Whereas I probably should have just closed my mouth and listened to be lucky enough to be around some of the people I was around. Um, and I learned that, I think, one of, again, I think one of the biggest lessons and valuable things for me was having a dad who was in the business and came from the background that my dad did. And mm-hmm. um, I think that after time, as I grew and I came back to our restaurants back in the early 2000s, um, my dad seeing that I felt a need at a young age in the position I was in to try to prove to people that I was, you know, worthy of being in the position I was in, mm-hmm. uh, meant that I did a lot of talking and trying to, to convince people that I knew things that I probably, sh- you know, shouldn't have been talking about. And I remember one day my dad just turned to me um, and just said, do yourself a favor, shut <laughs> up and listen, listen and learn something. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I took that with me and ever, you know, and I really sort of reaffirmed to myself that that's how I had to be with things. And, yeah. um, you know, I wish I had done it at a younger age. It's something that I really try to do even more today mm-hmm. um, is just really listen to my staff, listen to people um, that are underneath my, my level of responsibility because you can learn as much from people that work for you um, as you can work, learn from people that you work for. So, um, so it's really just to take the time to not feel the need always to prove yourself to everybody, but just listen and try to learn. Um, that's, that's really something that I wish I had uh, – I've done it at a younger age, and so I try to impart that in as nice a way as I can to some of the people that work with me and um, some of the younger people who um, I'm very lucky. I think we have a lot of people that take that initiative without me having to remind them of that. Um, but, so it's, uh, but I think it's a valuable lesson. Awesome, man. So. And uh, it reminds me of the words um, uh, of the author, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I can't remember which habit it is. I think it might be the fifth habit, which is uh, first seek to understand and then be understood. And uh, yeah. that's what I'm hearing from you. Uh, it's great, amazing advice. And, and Chris, if there was one question I could have asked you that you believe would have added value to this interview, what would it have been? I, don't know. I think you've definitely done a great job of asking a pretty thorough list, and I think that uh, and you know you've done a great job. But Thank you. I think that if I had to come up with one, I think that um, kind of just because of what I do in terms of not just the post 390, but I'm in all of our restaurants is sort of what's one thing that could differentiate you from your competition. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, it's certainly uh, the sourcing of product. Now, again, not just the post 390, but our beef program at Grill 23, I would say is one of the more unparalleled programs in the country in terms of working with only one small farm from Southern California um, that we, I've developed an incredible relationship with. They're literally like family to me. I go, uh, I have Eric Brandt, the owner of the company, come uh, booth and tuna fishing with me every summer to learn so he can learn about fishing. And I go out to Idaho every year to go learn about hunting from him. Um, and in between, we really spend a lot of time um, meticulously sourcing our products. Um, all of our beef that we get from the Brants is source, 100% source verified. All back in the early 2000s, um, Eric, myself, and our chef from Grill 23, Jay Murray, made the decision to um, to really invest in a beef program that utilized beef without the use of hormones or antibiotics. And we were one of the first uh, first group of people to ever make that commitment because of the, the cost associated with producing beef at that level. Um, so, again, it's just taking the time 
to not try to just fall in line with what everybody else is doing, but to try to think about um, what it is we can do to make our experience that much more special. It's, I think some people will question if you have somebody who's not a steak connoisseur to come in and say, well, you know, maybe the beef in their mind doesn't taste, you know, any different than it does at any mm-hmm. of the other steakhouse. But um, I've been doing this for, you know, and I've been around this business for 30 years. And um, we Grill 23 just celebrated its 30th anniversary. And, um, you know, I, I believe that it has a difference. My guests believe that it has a difference. Um, you know, our regular guests, my staff and my team of people, we all know that it's something we can hang our hat on. Uh, but that comes with a price. And that's mm-hmm. um, that's through hard work of sourcing and um, and so I guess it's, that would be the one thing. If I had to come up with something, I think, again, you did a great job of, of, of covering all the areas. But I think that um, that's an important tool is to constantly be asking yourself that question as a, mm-hmm. as a restaurateur, a general manager, a chef, or even just somebody um, who's going to help the day-to-day operations of that business is to say, what is it that we can do as a group collectively to differentiate ourselves, differentiate ourselves from the competition? Yeah, so. and I'll, you know, I'm going to add on to like the advice you mentioned earlier is people don't put enough emphasis on PR and marketing. Once you find what makes you different, different that unique selling proposition, market the crap out of it because that's what's going to separate you from everyone else. And that's what is going to make you unique. And that's what will resonate. So, I mean, awesome, incredible stuff. Uh, you've been an incredible, amazing guest, Chris, and we got to wrap it up. And we do that by having you call somebody out. Who's one indie restaurant professional you admire and believe would make a great addition to the show? Um, I think that uh, somebody that I look up to incredibly, um, and I really try to uh, use him as uh, inspiration and somebody to uh, not only how to follow yourself as an owner of a restaurant and an owner chef, uh, but as a human being, uh, is, is Chef Michael LaMonaco from New York, uh, who is the chef owner and actually our partner in New York at Porterhouse, New York, uh, at Time Warner Center. Um, Michael, on top of being, you know, one of the more talented chefs, you know, New York, which certainly means, you know, definitely around the country, uh, Michael's got an incredible background. Um, he was the chef at the 21 Club back in the day. Uh, Michael was a chef at Windows in the World. Um, oh, you know, he, so his background is incredible. He's an incredibly talented person. But when you look at the human being and you look at the person that he is, Michael was um, the chef uh, at the World Trade Center when uh, 9-11 occurred. And he lost probably 80% of his restaurant um, in the tragedy. Um, you know, Michael certainly was devastated by it, and um, you know, you know, I can't imagine ever going through something like that. I believe he was down getting his eyeglass prescription filled uh, when the when the planes hit the tower. So certainly, he had to live with the he has to live with the knowledge of you know having to witness all that happen. Um, but what I think that just shows the type of person that he is is that he spent almost two years making sure that every single person who, who perished in the, in the tragedy uh, was able to get you know full benefits, whether they were citizens of the United States or not. Um, he's taken that to how he built his company and our partnership with him at Porterhouse. Um, is he the flashiest chef in the country? Probably not. I mean, though Michael is on, you know, you name the, the morning TV shows, Michael is usually a regular guest on all of them. He's one of the more charismatic people that you'd be around in the business. But um, what I take out of it is, and it's every time that I see him, it's um, you, you just have to marvel at the type of person he is. And when you talk to anybody from this business, um, you hear, you know, you hear people, oh, they're a good person. But when you talk about Michael Abonico, you hear people really say um, they stop and they sort of say he is an incredible human being. And he is. Mm-hmm. He's just, we're really proud to have him as a partner. And um, I'm proud to call him my friend. 
Um, he's somebody that I lean on. You know, if I have anything going on in the industry, Michael's usually the first person that I would call to to sort of ask how he would take, how he would handle it. So he's somebody that I look up to, and um, you know, I I call him out mostly because I know that that's not always something that you know the general public can pick up on sometimes yeah. because everyone's so caught up in this day and age of chefs. It's more about what TV show they've been on than about who they are necessarily as a person. Uh, but he's somebody that. Um, one of the few people I can safely say that you, I would encourage people to go to his restaurant simply because of the type of person he is, not only because he's just an incredibly talented person. He's somebody that you want to support, that you want to see successful. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I would say, yeah. <laughs> Chris, I mean, you're coming, I mean, you're speaking from such a deep, genuine, heavy, heartfelt place. And you have me so worked up to approach Michael, and I want to try to say his name. I'm a, is it a Lemon, Lemononico? Say it again for me. Yeah, Michael Lamonaco. Yeah, it's uh, L-O-M-A-N-A-C-O, Michael Lamonaco. <laughs> Michael Lamonaco. L-O-M-O. Yeah. I'm yeah. coming after L-L- you, yeah. and I'm super yeah, excited, yeah. dude. Uh, I hope I would be honored, and uh, anything you can do to help me connect with Michael would be incredible. Uh, thank you so yeah. much, Chef. Uh, before I let you go, I just want to let everyone at home know, how can we connect with you? I mean, you sound like an incredible person to come work for. If we're in the Boston area, and you want – to work for a restaurant group that will invest in you and help you grow uh, professionally. If that's something that sounds uh, tempting to you, how can we connect? Um, I think best way would be through the restaurant, certainly. Um, I'm around all three uh, consistently. So um, if they call through the, through the restaurant, certainly, um, you know, people are welcome to email me. But, you know, my email is at chimmel at himmelhospitality.com. Uh, so that's always a great way. Also, I mean, I, I – I'm pretty active in the social media community, so that's always another option for people where awesome. um, I encourage anybody to go follow my Instagrams, my Facebook posts, my Twitter handle, just simply because, again, I do so much traveling and I'm able to meet with um, – I'm actually leaving in two weeks to get down to New Orleans to go down um, and work on a shrimp boat and basically oh, be going out to uh, to go to a crawfish farm to certainly go visit some of the restaurants um, and then really just kind of soak up what's going on down in New Orleans for some uh, some inspiration. So awesome. things like that usually happen in my life quite frequently. So I always encourage people um, to jump on there, follow what I'm doing, and jump on and, and you know, give me their two cents. And certainly if they're interested in talking to us, that's a great way to sort of spark a conversation. So Beautiful. That would be, uh, uh, thank you so much, Chris. I mean, you have been, without a doubt, an incredible guest mentor uh there's no questioning you are unstoppable and uh, just again thank you so much absolutely eric my pleasure thanks for having me i appreciate it kaplow look at you now another amazing episode i think we're all a little better off after listening to the incredible advice from our guest today chris himmel thank you so much for coming on the show and uh you guys at home i mean i think this episode, I mean, we we get people talking about Danny Meyer saying the table a lot, but uh, this man worked under Danny Meyer, and he put so much emphasis on the value of this book. If you guys haven't read this book yet, uh, get it in the, the show notes. The links are there. At the very least, pick up this book for free. Just try it for free. AudibleTrial.com slash Unstoppable. You can get your free audio book today. Uh, listen to this book. It's a must read or must listen uh and i'll have those links in the show notes for you and this is episode 110 so just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 110 and you'll find it right there uh just so much to be learned here about just being yourself 
uh, treating your people right, uh, keeping up with technology and just knowing what's going on in your industry. I mean, Chris, you just knocked it out of the park, man. So great to have you as a guest on the show. And I'm going to keep this episode under an hour, I promise. So I will cut it there. But I guess all that's left is to say, until next time, peace out.